series, we're looking at the garden, the cross, and the empty tomb. So this week we're looking at the cross. Super excited to be able to share that message with you. That is a message that we simply will never tire of proclaiming and speaking. And it's just been our prayer, even as we were gathered down front, is just that that the words would have new weight and new meaning to us. I mean, we're going to be singing about this and proclaiming it to each other, not only in this life, but in the age to come. And so we want um, these words to have depth and meaning to us. And just speaking about the power of words, words have an incredible opportunity, I think, to shape us for good or to shape us for harm. I mean, there's not a person in this room that that probably hasn't picked up something by means of their identity. And when I say identity, I mean who you see yourself to be by the words of others. That could be something very negative that somebody said to you earlier in your life. That could be something very positive where someone actually believed in you and hoped something for you. Words have a powerful shaping influence, and we have to really pay attention to which words we give the most weight to. And so this week uh, at my house, uh, the Lion King movie was on quite a bit. And this was, uh, I'm sure, because the new live action film is coming up. Anybody excited to see that? Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that thing looks legit. I'm excited. But so the, the cartoon is on, and, and I just had this thought. Uh, I've never really thought about it before, but the Lion King is a powerful story of identity. I mean, it is Simba who is born as the heir to all that the light touches, then he is used by his uncle Scar as bait, and his father Mufasa is killed. And there's just this powerful moment when Scar tells Simba to run away and never return. And that's, that's really honestly how we most of the time deal with the painful things that happen in our life. We just run away. And really, then the story continues. Simba takes on the identity of Timon and Pumbaa. And we have the, the fantastic scene of Hakuna Matata. Life means no worries. But no worries is not how he's supposed to live because he has a calling. And then he has this climactic scene when Rafiki is talking to him. And he has this vision of his father. So you've got to go with me on this. And, and in the best James Earl Jones moment, he says, Simba. Remember who you are, right? That's all I got, um, right? But he, the father wanted him to know who he was in that moment. And that has a profound impact on how he lives out his calling. So I'm going to ruin the live action film for you, but he actually becomes the Lion King and he begins to take his rightful place as the king over his people. Now listen, like, that's just a story. But the words that we're going to hear from the cross this morning are supposed to shape who we are. As we hear Jesus' victory cry on our behalf that it is finished, right? It's supposed to change how we view ourselves. It's supposed to change how we view what's going on inside this local church. It's supposed to change how we view our mission towards the world. So there are profound implications for it being finished for us. And so yeah, we just want to draw attention to what took place on the cross. And so I'm going to read uh, really the entirety of John 
19, at least verses 16 through 30. You don't have to stand, but I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand in the middle of it as we listen to his victory cry. John chapter 19, verse 16. Listen to the power of these words. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather write, This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, so when they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me as we read Jesus' final words? From the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we experience both the pain and the agony of that day, but also the profound victory of that day. I pray that these words would mark who we are. They would mark our identity as your people. I pray that these words would cause fear to be absent in our hearts. I pray that these words would cause faith to rise in who we are 
and that we would trust you more as we look at the cross. Father, I, I simply do not possess power to make these words effective, but I do pray for your help, and I do pray that you would send your spirit to write these words on the doorposts of our hearts, that we would be different, that as we leave here, as we encounter people, even in casual conversation, that there would be a difference. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at the cross, there is simply so much that could be said. I mean, literally from AD 33, the church has been writing songs and depicting works of art and poetry, and there has been no shortage of ink spilt just over the reality of what took place there. But the cross has become the symbol of Christianity. And honestly, if you take a drive around our city, you probably can't go one square mile apart from seeing some reference to the cross. I mean, it's, it's such a common place that this week, like, we were picking a, a color for the cross out front. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it can be decorative. Uh, in contemporary culture, I mean, you see the cross on t-shirts and on bumper stickers, and you see it on journals, and all of those things, which is a good thing because it changed history forever, but it can cause the cross just to be a symbol instead of what it was meant to be, which is liberation and freedom and power for the people of God. I mean, uh, John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ, talks about the cross and it's this, this instrument of Roman torture, how it became really the source of hope for God's people. I mean, it would be equivalent, like if we were wearing the cross around our neck, like it's just equivalent to us going around in modern day with the electric chair around our neck. I mean, because this is what we are celebrating is the death of the Son of God, right? And we sang about it this morning, all hail King Jesus. But these words are not meant to be just words. They're meant to define who we are and and really God's intention for us as we look at John chapter 19 is to move from the cross being just a mere symbol, right, for us to being what the book of Hebrews calls a steadfast anchor for the soul. It's meant to give us hope and vision and reality. We're going to just focus in on Jesus' victory cry in verse 30, where he says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, the word underneath, it is finished. Now, I'm not a big Greek guy. I actually had to ask for some help this week. I don't think you have to know Greek to know Jesus, but this one's pretty important. It's called tetelestai. It is uh, one word in Greek, three words in English. It is finished. It literally means paid in full. Now, as I was studying this week, There's a couple of ways that this word was used in the ancient world. The first was a servant would come back to a master when his task was complete, and he would say, Tetelestai, it is complete, right? Also, a merchant, when they would have like a bill of sale and everything was delivered on time, they would put Tetelestai across the bill. It meant paid in full. A priest would look In the temple courtyards, when they would examine a lamb for its sacrifice, they would look at the perfection of the lamb. And if it was full and it was complete, the priest would pronounce over the lamb, Tetelestai. So when Jesus on the cross 
is proclaiming it is finished. He means it is paid in full. It is paid in full for all of the people of God for all time, right? Forgiveness has been achieved. The wrath of God is satisfied. We are now restored and reconciled to God forever. There is nothing that can be added to this message. There is nothing that can be taken away for this message. This message is meant to define who we are and how we walk out our lives in this present age. This is a permanent unalterable declaration for us. And honestly, what what I want to get to this morning is if you have placed your faith in Jesus, it is the most true thing about you. It is more it is more true than what is going on in your bank account. It is more real and true than the trials that you're walking through. It is finished is God's pronouncement and his declaration over your life. These words are meant to be the loudest and the truest words that we hear. But for that to happen, we have to rehearse them to ourselves and speak them to one another, right? Because if not, the cross just becomes some mere symbol or something that begins the Christian life. But it is meant to be at the heart of all that we celebrate. We are in Christ. It is finished for us. Charles Spurgeon said this, when speaking of Tetelestai, he says it is an ocean of meaning in a drop of language, a mere drop. It would need all the other words that were ever spoken or ever could be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. It is finished, is the most charming note in all of Calvary's music. The fire has passed upon the Lamb, and He has borne the whole of the wrath that was due His people. This is the royal dish of the feast of love. So, let the words, it is finished, speak to your fears. Let the words, it is finished, speak to your guilt. Let the words, it is finished, speak to all of your doubts and insecurities and all the things that everyone else has spoken over you and allow Jesus' words to be the most true. A.W. Pink also says, eternity will be needed to manifest all that Tetelestai contains. So it is finished for us. So collectively, as we enter into Holy Week, and that's why we're going to gather This is important to set aside time to marvel and to wonder and to pray so that we can process this together. This means we can let out a collective sigh of relief as the people of God, right? This is supposed to speak peace to us in the midst of a very busy life. So first of all, I want to apply this in some real concrete ways. And the first thing that we want to apply this to is just our perseverance. It is finished means we will finish, right? Jesus did not merely die to bring potential salvation to people. He didn't just die so that he can kind of get you started in the Christian life. He actually purchased it all for you. It is finished means we will finish. Now, The older I get, the more precious this becomes to me. The more that I walk out life and suffering with people. I mean, the reality of Philippians 1.6. That he who began 
a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Why is that verse true? That verse is true because it is finished, right? So let that speak to the difficulty, right? Because most of the time we're not thinking about God's pronouncement over us. We're thinking about the situation that we are in. And those are real and those are pressing and they expose our lack of resources. But what God wants to do is give us fresh courage and fresh faith. You're going to make it. Jesus' victory cry was your victory cry, even if you can't utter it yourself. It is finished, is meant to speak to whatever difficulty you are walking through. Um, yesterday, uh, I and my wife, we ran uh, our first race together. So we were out at uh, ASU, and it was a half marathon. And I say that not to brag or boast. <laughs> I barely finished um, but I, I want to bring you into a little bit of the thinking, right? I mean, we've been kind of training towards this for a couple of months. And Friday night before the race Saturday, like, I almost couldn't sleep. Like, the only thing that I was going through my mind over and over again is, like, are you going to be able to finish this race, right? Because there was some doubt happening inside of my mind. And I remember um, waking up that morning, and I'm checking websites and trying to find some kind of pre-race strategy. And I remember the only thing that I I remember about the race yesterday was, hey, don't go too fast because you want to finish, right? And then it it took all the way to me actually crossing the finish line, which was real and meaningful. But then like later on in the afternoon, I actually got to enjoy the race. And I was like, oh yeah, I ran there. And I, I thought that when I was at that place. But that's what life is like for most of us, right? I mean, we're so worried about what's coming next that we don't enjoy the process. And the reality is God wants us to know and to understand that it is finished means you will finish. It means that what you are facing right now will not have the last word, right? I mean, I mean, just use this as an exercise. What were you afraid of two years ago? to the day, right? None of us can remember because it's not the most true thing about us. God wants us in this moment to say, listen, he is bigger than our trials. He is bigger than our difficulties. And we will finish because it is finished for us. Next, it is finished means we live by Jesus' performance for us and not our performance for him. Listen, this is not just a clever turn of phrase. This idea and this concept is the difference between slavery and freedom in the Christian life. Right? It is finished means that is what's most true of you. Theologians call this union with Christ. Like we are in Christ. There is never anything that can be said about you that's not true about Jesus. We live by His performance For us, not our performance for Him. Now, most of us, if we're honest, because we live in the South and there's a church building on every corner, we think that it's about like good people becoming a little bit better. Like that's the purpose for which Jesus died. He died for more than that. Christianity is not primarily about getting better or behaving better, at least first and foremost. I'm not saying that obedience is not important, but Christianity is first about believing better, and as you believe better, it actually changes your behavior. You get the 
order wrong and you'll be into legalism and slavery. The cross is meant to change us at the core of who we are. We actually become new creations, not just a better version of ourselves. Galatians 2.20 says that we were crucified with Christ. And it's no longer the life that I live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. So this Easter season, this, this almost sounds blasphemous, right? But not only are we supposed to see Jesus crucified on the cross, you're supposed to see yourself crucified on the cross. The person that you once were is dead, right? That's what we celebrate. We did baptisms a couple of weeks ago. They were buried with Christ in baptism, and they're raised to walk in the newness of life. That's not just a a personal self-improvement project, right? And I have this fresh on my mind because we've been dealing with this all week. I mean, Thursday, I promise you, was maybe one of the craziest days in the history of this church. Uh, Chris West can attest to that. I mean, there were no less than 12 to 15 contractors around this building. I mean, there are holes that are still in the ground. I mean, they were painting outside. They're getting ready to lay a new... um, new pavement and new concrete outside. This had no floor on it, right? And then we were just thinking about all the things that needed to take place just to get in this room, right? And, and sometimes we can think about the Christian life like that. We think that the cross saves us, and then what we do is kind of um, add some fresh paint or some new carpet over here, and, and it's our job to kind of change ourselves and clean ourselves up. But what Galatians 2.20 says is that we were crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So His righteousness actually is our righteousness. His record is our record. His performance is our performance. And that is meant to set us free. The Christian life does require effort But it does matter where you focus that effort. If that effort is on yourself and trying to clean yourself up and trying to do better and trying to try harder, none of those things are actually going to work. They're going to lead to burnout and disillusionment. But God wants us to focus our effort on what is most true, and that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We don't have to try to earn anything or prove anything to God. We don't have to pay Him back. Right? We just simply receive His gift of mercy. It is finished for us. So going back to the, the building illustration. like If we're going to make this truly Christian, we don't just improve this 1970s version of a building. Right? Christianity is that God comes in and He knocks down this 1970s building and He builds something that makes the Taj Mahal look like a McDonald's drive through Right? And all of that is what we give. And it's self-maintaining. It's unperishable. It's not able to be defiled. That's what's true of Christianity. So what's true of Jesus is now true of us. It's not a renovation project. It means new affections and new power and new identity. And all of those things come to us because Jesus Christ on the cross cried out in victory, It is finished. This is what's most true of us. Finally, it is finished means we have unrestricted access to the presence of God. We have unrestricted access to the presence of God. Now, in the book of Matthew, 
Jesus is on the cross. The veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom. The veil in the temple would keep the presence of God. It would keep people safe from God. Right? His presence was dangerous to sinners. There was this idea that you can only go so far. Right? And God is the one that through Jesus tore that veil so that we could draw near to God. Listen, the highest good of the gospel is not that you get to go to heaven sometime. The highest good of the gospel is not that you get to avoid judgment. The highest good of the gospel is that you have access to God Himself. That He Himself is our source of peace. That He Himself is our joy. That He Himself is our rest. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That He might bring us to God. So Jesus' work on the cross was about bringing us back into right relationship with God. So this is so that we can know Him. So getting God is the highest good of the gospel. And He invites us every week when we walk into this room to encounter His presence. His presence is meant to be the distinctive marker of the people of God. Even if you are here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, there's supposed to be something different when the people of God meet together, where something of the weight and the beauty and the majesty of God comes to rest on His people. That's the reason that Jesus came into the world, that we would be distinct because of His presence. Now, go back to the beginning There are so many in this room that believe lies about themselves. There are other words besides it is finished that have been spoken over you and to you. And the only place that those lies actually lose their power are in His presence. Right? You need to be in His presence to hear a better word and to listen to a better story. That the one that you were once afraid of as judge has now become your father. That we are sons and daughters of the king. That we can draw near to him. And this has implications for our mission as well. Because in a world of transience and distraction and disconnection, um, being a people of his presence is increasingly important. right? Because people are all over the map. I mean... Our attention spans are about 3.5 seconds these days. And to have a sense of rootedness and purpose inside the the people of God is the only thing that can give the world meaning. And so we're meant to be carriers of His presence. So we gather here on Sunday mornings unto the presence of God, to encounter the presence of God. Yes, we teach the Bible. Yes, we sing songs. But we do those things to get to God. Right? It's not just to rehearse religious truths. We actually believe that he wants to meet with us. And then, and only then, can we be effective missionaries to the city where we can say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Because we've tasted, we've seen, we've experienced, and that is what the cross is all about. That we, as the people of God, get to encounter him in the fullness of his beauty and his awesome mercy. It is finished means We have unrestricted access to the presence of God. So instead of running away and hiding, when we blow it, we draw near to our Father who loves us 
and has called us to himself. That's the good news of the gospel. We're going to celebrate that in just a moment as we celebrate communion. But I want you to, to think about this meal as a real presence, right? I mean, it really 